Welcome to Splunk Talk, a Splunk podcast that is all Splunk and no junk. I'm your host, Hal, here with co-host Birch, and in the hot seat, we have Jeremy. Say hello. Hello. Or motion, hello, whatever. This is episode six, and we'll be joined today by guest Arajit Mukiri, uh, CTO and co-founder of SignalFX. That will be very exciting. Before we get to that, um, let's kind of go around the room, see what y'all been up to. Birch, you go first. What's up, man? Oh, man. So... Uh... Some, let's see, some fun news. By the time this, well, first off, we, we're not live streaming. So let's first just acknowledge that. Uh, we did last sad time, day. We did, of. yeah. But we went to live stream today and it, it appears that we're using some super cool new certificates. And those sweet, sweet 2048 or higher certificates are just too cool for Google. Uh, so live stream is off for today. And we'll look into future options but uh yeah so by the time people watch this i'll have a new role at splunk aha what is that gonna be i am um as of february 1st i'll be moving into the products organization hey nice so i'll be doing technical guidance for the new field pm organization and awesome. So, uh, what the person running what is that a field PM organization? I'm glad you asked. Um, so this is a brand new organization at Splunk that is in place to help make sure that everything that the, the, the systems engineers, the sales engineers, the customer success managers, the, the people that are really day in and day out working with customers, um, we're able to stay true to what they need and what our customers need in shaping our, our product. So we're helping inform the direction of product as a cross-functional or horizontal uh, part of the, the organization. And so an example of that is like within this new group is the uh, upcoming Splunk Ideas, a, a new feedback and enhancement uh, platform. Um, you know, nothing, That sounds really nothing. boring. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, I'm kidding. uh, Because like, uh, actually earlier today, I was telling a customer about some things that are coming related to feature enhancements. And this has actually been a long, long time customer request. So it's a request about customer requests. Very meta. Yeah. So um, I won't be responsible for that project specifically. JC is your boss? One of the JCs? We have three JCs uh, at the company? Yeah, we do have three JCs. Okay, yeah. right, cool. um, and uh, two of them have a birthday a day apart. I did and not know those, that part. Yeah, and those, those same two um, I affectionately refer to as my work husband and my work mistress. I know so, which one is which. I immediately knew which one is which as soon as you said <laughs> that. Uh, but yeah, so a lot of love all around. You're talking about and, the New York uh, JC is your boss. That's right. Okay. Uh, gotcha. uh, someone who's been on our, our, uh, in our targets for a future guest. Oh, yeah. Well, the, your work mistress is also uh, an excellent true. speaker. Anyone with the initials JC would be more than welcome as a guest. Jeremy, what's your, what are your initials? Are, are we going to get Jesus on the show? Is that what I'm hearing? <laughs> I mean, let's aim high and see what we can do. Yeah. High and holy. Yep. No, mine, mine is JK. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> That's not very funny. I thought it was pretty clever. <laughs> keep working on it. Uh, keep your day job, though. Uh, any changes I, in your I, job this year? I can't take credit. It's all my parents. 
Uh, sorry, what what did you say? Any changes in your job situation this year? What's up with you? Yes, yes. There is a very big change in my job situation. Um, I will not be working half the year because I'm taking on a new role of fatherhood. <gasps> oh. So, yeah. So which half of uh, the day uh, are you going to be working and which half <laughs> are you going to be fathering? Or? Yeah, exactly. Now, I intend to make full use of Splunk's extremely generous um, parental leave. Uh, so I will, be, I will be taking some time off starting sometime in June, um, depending on and when the baby depending actually decides on when the to come. Depending happens, so, yeah. yeah. That's right. I understand so, the, the mechanics involved. Yeah, so come <laughs> come June, we're gonna have to uh, we're gonna have to uh, find. Um, I don't know that we can find a replacement or an alternate for you, but I heard that there's like a fresh version of you coming to the world in June. Maybe they want to fill your spot on this. <laughs> I think he's easily replaced, so I, I, we can talk about it offline. But, but as I mentioned we'll before, like, we started uh, recording. Can, got three can people we, in mind. Oh, we just you know. <laughs> three people. Can we hey guys, we burn through someone? another producer. <laughs> or or maybe maybe I stick around and just bring her on the show while I'm on leave and she can steal the whole thing and open invitation, man. Yeah. Internet celebrity. I like it. I like it. Cool. Well, New um Splunk mascot. What else has been going on with uh Y'all, anything? Oh, I didn't talk. I guess I yeah, what say about you, Hal? Yeah, what are you doing? Uh, let's see. Yeah, so, I mean, Hal, it's the what time about you? for change uh, in the in the company because our fiscal thing, everything starts and gets ready end of January, first of uh, February. Um, let's see. My role is changing slightly. Um, <gasps> they are putting a new um, sales engineer uh, type of role. They're, they're kind of splitting out some of the responsibilities, and uh, I'm going to be a consulting solutions engineer mm. is, the, is the new title. Uh, but basically a a specialist in some of our products, um, but still field, fa- field facing. Nice. Which which suite of products, if you will? The IT suite of products or half, if you will. Nice. So, yeah, looking forward to it. Should be cool. Very cool. Very cool. Well, in any second now, we'll have our, our special guest joining us. Yeah. Um, so uh, if, just a, a little background. Um, Splunk acquired Signal FX some time ago, and um, our our guest is a, a member of that. that well, not just a member, but let's you know we'll we'll talk through it with him, of course. That yeah. would be a lot of fun. So, um, who likes who likes Dead Air? I am I'm actually a fan, and normally there's not a problem. Like I can fill air, no problem. You know, that's that's just a. It's it's one of those things that like after you've spoken publicly for a while, it, it's like you can just like flip a switch. But the thing is that like you you don't know if you're gonna be saying anything useful or it's just gonna be babble, you know? Yeah. But for me, it's bab- It's mostly babble. We got like during a- my own personal period of dead silence a moment ago. I was sending a note to Arjit to check on him, and he's on the way, oh, so we will excellent. be speaking with him momentarily. Very cool. Well, this is a great time to, um, knowing that he's joining any second, let's now get into some intense conversation. You mean something no. that he could be interrupting just as soon as he joins? Yeah, yeah. Let's, let's talk about something like political. Like, do you, do you feel that Splunk's web interface or configuration file backend is better? 
I actually am looking forward to not talking about that. But um, have y'all seen the um, the nice new dashboard framework? <laughs> have y'all the seen dashboard? the new dashboard framework? A little bit. It was on. It was uh, the way they were doing the dashboards for the Buttercup Bucks at Conf. They were using yes, correct at mm-hmm. the dashboard control room. Uh, very rich. Yeah. Um. And uh, Jeremy, have you seen it at all? Um. I, I want to say I have seen a few screenshots maybe i haven't actually seen it in front of me or anything so we should definitely have um probably one of the senior pms over that area on to talk about it it might be an interesting conversation but it's a very visual one so i don't know we'll have to think about that but the short version is that we've had the same dashboard well we've had two dashboard frameworks um three two and a half (laughs) back in 4.3 days i mean we had you had simple xml and advanced xml and there was also this Python-based uh, backend, and you you had this. Um, what was the other one called? It wasn't before we tried to stick. Uh, um, oh shoot, I can't remember. It was basically oh, a templating Django. engine. Yeah, yeah, we Django. briefly had that uh, Django in there, um, but you know, then the story became, um, you know, how how do we simplify this for people, and what is going to be useful? And we didn't during that process. We never changed the the look of it you know it was basically the capabilities were all the same so when it came to um refresh things uh we this time around with the new dashboard framework we did um so the capabilities are much broader you you can have like kind of pixel perfect layout wherever you want and um the um the ability to kind of control the look and the feel is just drastically improved. So there's a lot of cool stuff there. And, you know, it's, it doesn't look like, you know, a stale old dashboard type of thing. Yeah, because after you're looking at a number of Splunk dashboards, it, it's got very, like, column and row-based orientation. And it's great. Uh, but to your point, I bet after looking at so many of them, it's kind of like you're seeing the same thing over and over. And, and what I saw, the new framework is just totally flexible. I mean, things can go anywhere visually on it. Yeah, it is. It's pretty neat. Did I ever tell you about um, when when I was like really heavy into advanced XML? No, you did five not. was coming out. No. Oh, yeah. Story time. Put okay. on put on your hat. Back in I think 2013, 14. The way you set that up, it was like you were I was had some no drug what. problem. You you would be surprised. <laughs> You would not be surprised. Back when I was really heavy into that XML stuff. <laughs> yeah, man. Back, back when I was into advanced XML. Um, so I was trying to do some, some uh, pretty advanced XML kind of things. And I was, it, it was a very, um, if you're not familiar with XML, it, w- it, was, it was a lot to learn. Uh, a lot of nesting, a lot of weird ways of closing and I was getting really heavy into it and trying to pull off a, a cool solution with like configuration management. And I went to uh, .conf and the preceding Splunk University where I was able to take some classes. And I took a class on advanced dashboards. And we went further into advanced XML. And I started asking the instructor like, well, what, you know, what, what how do I do this one thing? Or what is this module called? And he finally got exasperated and he's like, I don't know the answer, and after tomorrow, it won't matter. I was like, what? And he's like, 
we're we're announcing Splunk Five tomorrow, and it's going to have a much richer dashboard experience. Simple XML is going to be really enhanced, um, and so everything that you're trying to do is going to be just a few clicks in the new thing. So you might as well just wait until tomorrow. And I was like, but I want an answer. Okay, fine. Well, to be fair, that transition took a lot longer than version five. And people continued to build things with advanced XML because the, the feature parity was not there at version one of simple XML. Yeah, I think even forms didn't come along, along until like six yeah. or something. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it took a while. And then we announced the deprecation of uh, advanced XML, and that was a good thing. I, I don't think anybody really complained. Uh, but now the, the new, new hotness. Um, we showed it off at Conf. Um, you can find you know, links and videos and stuff uh, at the Conf Online website. And there's and, a beta. Um, you, you can, can download, download the, beta. the beta. Right, exactly. So there's an app in Splunk base. Um, I think it's called like Splunk Dashboard Beta or something like that. Um, it runs on version 7.3 or 8.0. And um, it says beta, but it's not, I'm trying to think how to phrase this. It's not, it's not the type of thing that's going to break you know, or, or lead to instability in your environment. It's merely a front-end thing that we're calling beta because it's not finished. It's going to change some. So, and to your point, it's not like you're, it's not like it's going to impact your old dashboards in any way because it's right. a whole new yeah, exactly. engine. So it, it sits parallel to your existing dashboards. So yep. yeah, you, that's a really good point, Holly. You don't have to worry about it. Yeah. I mean, is it, um, I'm sure I'm going to promise this and then someone's going to turn around and be like, it broke the, no, there shouldn't be a way though. No. Low impact for sure. Were you going to say something, Jeremy? Yeah. Is it? Is it uh is it the same stuff that's rolling out with mission control? Yes. Okay. So you'll see this in a lot of things. Um, mission control, which was announced at Conf as well, is basically um, the future of what we are going to be doing on the security side. So kind of bringing in capabilities from enterprise security, uh, Phantom, UBA uh, into kind of one place. Uh, and yes, the visualization framework for that and the look and feel of it, it looks a lot different that is using the new dashboard framework. Okay. And this is probably, I don't think we've ever talked this much about like future facing stuff. So this is probably- a Well, see everything that. we're talking about has been already talked about at conf. So oh, that's good, why good. I feel comfort, comfortable with that little yeah. detail. Otherwise I would be freaking out right now and I'd be saying like, uh, Jeremy, uh, not cool. Not cool, Jeremy. <laughs> this, well, this, as, is, this is, we can fix it in post, it's fine. Yeah, yeah. No, well, no, I'll, I'll say the, the usual- the, our usual disclaimer is, you know, the, this stuff is out there. It's it's subject to change, especially that's why we put the beta tag on there. Um, anything that we're talking about that might be, you know, forthcoming and not not yet available, hey, Thanks, that's still subject lawyer. to change. Yeah, Thanks, you know. lawyer talk. Make your purchase not lawyer talk based on what's available today. Talk. Thank you. We should change the name to lawyer talk. <laughs> <laughs> Every time we'll have someone from legal as a guest. <laughs> that sounds like a an awful idea. That is a truly awful idea. We should do it once though, just for fun. Like April for uh, April first would April be like, uh, "Hey guys, this is uh, Lenny Stein. He uh, is uh, formerly our uh, chief counsel." Uh, I'm going to pretend to be to be a lawyer. Ask me a question. Well, now you? I'm speechless. I guess. <laughs> Okay, so anytime you ask a question. So, hey, hey, Birch, um, uh, what yeah, did you so, have for breakfast this morning? Oh, I can't confirm or deny that I had breakfast this morning, and I plead the fifth. I see. That'll be the answer to every question, regardless of if it's appropriate, just for the fun of it. Okay. Okay. Have you ever, like this is totally way off topic, 
Have any of you ever like had to really seriously deal with contract language? Yes. Yeah. Like I've done some real estate stuff and uh, occasionally I touch the contract side on the Splunk sales and, and that's like, I get it why lawyers get paid a lot. It, it takes stressful. a long time to put your head in that space. Speaking so, of head in that space, we just got a new head in the visual space here. <laughs> we did. We did. Excellent. Yeah. Well, thanks uh, for joining us. Uh, now, I, I, I want to be very careful and to not mispronounce your name, Arjit. So you, could you do us the honor? Yes, it's Arjit Mukherjee. Okay. I, actually, guys, did I not say it very that, similarly? Yeah, you were pretty good. Mukherjee. You were 95% right. And it's just that 5% that was so Yeah, offensive. I don't want to. Yeah. So, um, hey, uh, Arjit, uh, I'm Hal. And uh, to my left there is Birch. And then uh, on the bottom, we've got Jeremy. Hello. So thanks so much for, for uh, giving us the, the time here. I super appreciate uh, you coming on. So um, I think Jeremy will cut out like a minute here just to give him a, a mm -hmm. decent uh, run runway here. Um, so what we do is uh, we're talking to the world is a public uh, facing. Um, we don't work with marketing at all, but they know that we exist. So there's <laughs> no agenda. There's no marketing campaigns. You know, there's nothing between us. Um, but you know they're aware that we do stuff, uh, so oh, which no, is so nice. I won't get my fifteen minutes of fame. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, just joking. Well, the funny thing is that like Authentic. there are things yeah. that we want to do, and that we just haven't gotten there yet. So today we have the freedom. So, but That's when awesome. I click the 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 publish button, or one of us clicks the publish button, it's out there immediately. So you know, and it, it we have things on YouTube, we have things uh, you know, on Apple Podcasts and other podcast app. So it's out there, uh, you know, whenever we're ready, we don't have to go through these approval cycles and, you know. I think that makes a lot of sense. I actually yeah. checked out some of the previous uh, episodes. Seems yeah, like some very interesting discussions, yeah. Oh, yeah, great. We try, we try. So, um, but the, the history of this, it's a long, Splunk Talk's been around a long time, but it, it paused when we had some, uh, uh, you know, the, the main uh, host at the time, Michael Wilde, was kind of the, the soul of it. He left the company and was like, you know what? We got to make this thing happen again. Birch was really interested, had some customers hit me up. So here we are. You made but it sound yeah. like uh, I was really interested and started a campaign to have customers hit you up and sell you on me. Yes. Thank you for your, <laughs> uh, your lobbying over a year that, that really paid off. No, we're, we don't take ourselves very seriously at all. So I hope you can uh, roll with that. Uh, guys, no anything problem. else to say? From me on that side. Excellent. Birch, Jeremy, anything you want to say? Well, okay. let's have some fun. Yep, let's that's the goal. So let's see. I did the no, I did the intro to the last episode. Did we introduce ourselves? Yeah, we did for this one. Yeah, okay, I'm getting I'm mixed up with what we did oh, okay. for uh, Charlie and what we did for yes. today. All right, cool. So, marker, Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, we want to welcome Marjit uh, Mukherjee. Did I do okay, Marjit? That's right, Mukherjee. Right. Yes. Awesome. So welcome to the show. And um, what we want to do is kind of understand um, what brought you to where you are today. So, but let's go back a little ways to, um, you know, little Arjit. No, no, I don't want to go, go back <laughs> that far. So what I want to understand is like, um, what, what did you do kind of college time frame? What were you studying? What were you interested in back then? Cool. So uh, I've always been sort of a fond of computers, so to speak. So I think if I can trace it back, uh, 
it was really um, sixth grade when my in my school they offered a what was called a computer studies course mm -hmm. basically taught you about computers and taught you about basic programming if you remember that language and um, so my dad who was sort of pretty key to sort of maybe uh, uh, encouraging this interest so he got me uh, you know there, there was a thing home computer called the the zx80 yeah yeah or the zx spectrum anyway, yeah in the in back of my mind i was like I, which one is he gonna mention you know <laughs> there you go so i spent like hours and hours and hours on that and then uh, so, you know, fast forward when I graduated from high school, uh, I did want to do uh, computer science uh, as a thing that I studied. But out there, um, the college, it's really a, a competitive exam that everybody writes. And then based on your rank, you get to choose. And it's sort of the first person chooses and one, one department gets filled. You know, the next ones are available and that's how it went. So I got the second best thing, which is where, where was this? And communication engineering. You, you said over over there, were you implying like... Uh, oh, back in India. So I went, oh, okay. uh, I grew up in India. I went to school in India. Anyway, so I got uh, electronics and communication engineering, which is kind of mm -hmm. pretty darn close. So learned a lot of similar things. And then uh, and then when I did my master's, I came over to the US. Uh, I went to UC Davis, which is actually pretty close by to here. Uh, that's where I moved over to computer science and then, you know, been a software guy ever since. So um, one thing I heard, uh, I heard a number of things, but one thing that stood out to me is you, you mentioned, you know, like the top of the class gets first pick um, when they do the exam and everyone does the same exam and they get first pick and you, your first pick was computer science, but you didn't get that. Right. So what you're telling us That's is right. that you are not the top of the class. <laughs> oh, no, by any means. <laughs> well, I've, no, I've heard no this before. Somebody. This is something that, I mean, how many thousands of people are in line for this process? Yeah, so the, the, the college I went to, it's actually considered, I guess, the equivalent of India's version of MIT. It's called IIT, mm -hmm. Indian Institute of Technology. There used to be five campuses, each taking about maybe 400 kids each year for undergrad. And I think the net number of people who wrote the exam is probably 150,000 or so. Oh. And then you probably had to be within 300 and something to, to score a computer wow. science department wow. slot in one of the five so relatively <laughs> it's very very hard were, you actually were top of the <laughs> top of the population <laughs> yeah well, no i mean the, the competition and the stress involved it's very crazy. intense it's very stressful yeah. yes so since then actually what the country has done is uh, realizing obviously that good education is important they mm -hmm. have brought a lot other universities into the iit folds by upgrading them and you know have mm -hmm. facilities and, and curriculum and uh, so now I think there's, just as the country has blossomed, there's far more options now, but it used to be somewhat different. You know, I guess this was 1992. Yeah. Is what I'm yeah. talking about. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So flash forward a little bit to your studying computer science after, and you're interested in software. Um, was there a particular, you know, uh, topic or some focus that, that you found interesting, you know, because the world of software itself is very wide. Yeah, so, we know uh, we know where you landed, so, and I'm trying to figure yeah, out like yes. why did you? It's like we there? get the we have the spoiler, we have the end of the movie, and now we're going back. <laughs> That's yeah. right. Uh, so uh, you know, back in school, like in sixth grade, when we had computer studies, actually, it's interesting. So the teacher asked all the students, like, "Hey, you know, what would you like to do if you learn how to program?" And almost like I don't know, eighty percent of the class said, "Right, video games." Yeah, and you know, yeah. you might assume that the teacher is going to be disappointed, but our teacher was very happy. He said, "You know what?" 
if you guys can actually go and write video games, I'll be the happiest teacher in the world because it's one of the hardest things to do. Was right. there one kid in the class who went, write enterprise software? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> like, that's going to happen. Uh, anywho, so uh, uh, I don't know. I, I don't consider myself a very, uh, I guess, a, uh, an artistic person. <laughs> I've always been more about the mechanical. So uh, uh, in terms of software, I did not have a, a very specific uh, preference, but it was probably going to be something where there wasn't a whole lot of, uh, like, user-facing stuff to <laughs> Uh, yeah, to some extent, so I was mostly interested in backend guy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, coincidentally, you know, um, since we're on the topic, uh, when you go to school, it, especially in, in California and near the Silicon Valley, it's fashionable to love Linux and it's fashionable to hate on Microsoft because this was <laughs> back in the day when, you know, uh, Internet Explorer was kind of steamrolling Netscape Navigator mm -hmm. and you know, a bunch of stuff was happening, antitrust was going on. And guess what? The first job I got after graduating and loving Linux was to write uh, Windows programming, do Windows programming, write Windows-based software. It ended Microsoft up being pretty cool. MVP uh, there you go. Right there. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I was on that side of the camp for a long time. Yeah, I had a few MSDN subscriptions and attended some WinHack conferences. So mm -hmm. I remember those days. I ended up finding out that this wasn't bad, that it was very well supported, good documentation. So, you know, my opinion evolved. Uh, obviously as an as a result of this experience well it's funny i feel like people make their minds up first and then they apply mm -hmm. to what they've already decided and that os platform is the same way you know you you have a, a bundle of features and you can do very roughly equivalent across any of these different platforms and you know to some extent it's preference you know there's a lot of things that are e might be easier on one or another there might be but a lot of it is it's like yeah, the way that Linux evolved is because of the people that were involved in writing it. The way that Windows evolved is because of the people that were involved in what. So you That's gravitated right. toward one camp or another uh, because of who, you know, what you liked. It was a preference. So yeah, I just I like software, and I think you can do all kinds of cool things uh, across a wide variety of places. So, See, it was different for me when, when, I, was, uh, when I was born. Um, I was held up over the mountain, like it's like Simba in Lion yeah, King. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I can uh, all all below me were um, machines, not animals, but all machines <laughs> uh, running OS2 warp. And because uh, my father worked for IBM, and and so uh -huh. um, I was ingrained to become an OS2 warp programmer. Uh, and then uh, that operating system doesn't exist, exist anymore. <laughs> no, it does not. I I too was yeah. uh, into OS2 for a time, but. So, Arjit, like where, at what point did you start to do things that were related to, you know, where you went with, with SignalFX? Where does that evolution start? Yes. So, um, so uh, back in Cisco, I did things entirely unrelated to it. But then uh, at some point, um, I think it was back in 2007. So my wife was in India for an extended period of time, just having a vacation. She was between jobs. And I had a whole lot of time, so I decided to apply to this company called Facebook which wasn't really, I didn't know I much about it. it. I knew a friend had gone. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> and so anyway, so that's kind of where I, I, I joined the company. And what they uh, asked me to do, along with was, two or three other people. This was 2007? Sorry, yeah, sorry, 2007. That's right. That's right. So just, just to like, for anyone who's, who's younger and, and listening, like I remember I was, I was, sorry guys, I was graduating college. I was a year out of college in 2007, but I remember Facebook approaching me and saying, you know, oh, we're, we're jobs and, and do you want to apply? And, and I was like, man, 
the 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 engine, the platform that Facebook runs on right now is so crude, and it was like at that time it had grown so fast, and they were still using a very antiquated like engine and platform. It wasn't as dynamic and and user friendly as it is now. And I just remember being like, I don't want to go near that. (laughs) That's right. It was all PHP, and I felt. I was just going to say, now you've got people all over the place snapping up uh, React developers like hotcakes. That's right. That's right. So. We were just in a discussion, like within our team, we want to migrate uh, some of our product into React. And I've been sort of following that uh, development too. But anyway, so I, I joined Facebook. And like you said, like, yes, it, it was written on PHP and it was not really a sort of, a, it was sort of all over the place. The company was growing. At that time, actually, MySpace used to be the big gorilla because mm-hmm. they were at least three times as big and Facebook was just... Like relatively small, uh, pretty popular among the college students, of course, but uh, but not much more than that. So anyway, because of that growth, they wanted to uh, do better uh, monitoring and operations. And uh, they were using a bunch of open source that was kind of not really working out very well. And they felt, well, uh, a lot of the employees came from companies like Google, where Google obviously always has been a sort of leader in terms of their thinking about how they you know operate and whatnot. And Google obviously spent a lot of effort and, and engineers and money on this thing called Borgmon, which was used to sort of monitor the Borg infrastructure, which is their version of, I guess, what Kubernetes eventually is, is emulating in some sense. And so that's what we did. We, we ended up writing. Uh-huh. That's, that uh, came later, but yeah. Yep. How yep. is, uh, for those on the audio only stream, how is showing us what a book is? Oh, thank you. <laughs> no, the, the, I should have read it. Hey, thank you very much. This is site related, uh, reliability engineering, how Google runs production systems. So very well known in the industry. Yes, yes. Yeah, so that's how we got started. We built a, a monitoring system and then we found out that it was kind of a useful thing. Uh, engineers loved it. And, you know, there's always, if you want to use something that's developed in-house, so there's a little bit of that mm-hmm. unfair advantage you get. So then you get all the feedback and, you know, like everything else in, in, in the company, the, 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 the scale, the service had to scale like really, really fast. So it was a really fantastic experience. And because it was an internal team, we were the product managers as well as the developers. Everybody would mm-hmm. come to us and say, hey, you know, I need this or this product sucks because of that. And, and so it evolved and gave us a lot of perspective. So that's kind of how I got started in this space. And then um, first track a uh, few years, 2013, uh, one of my coworkers, Phil Liu, uh, he was uh, also a member of this infrastructure team. And then he decided that I'm going to go start a company around this. And uh, he, he reached out to me and I said, you know what, if, you, if you're going to start the company, you know, I'm going to join. Uh, so he and our other co-founder, Karthik Rao, they got together through uh, Andreessen Horowitz and started the company. And I joined them as the, as the first employee and the so I've been with the company uh, you know, since, since the beginning, effectively. Neat. Yeah. Neat. What was your title just prior to acquisition? Was it CTO? Uh, prior to acquisition, I was the CTO. That's correct. So, yes. I mean, you were employee number one. Um, you know, what was that like? I mean, you, 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 know, you, you had been at a big company, very big company. And right. were you hired at Facebook uh, out of college or, or do you have some other experiences? Uh, no, no, no. I, I was at Cisco there in for, a while Cisco too. for many years. So, yeah. Uh, so when I joined Facebook, it was actually quite small. Okay. Uh, uh, maybe a net of 400 employees, less than 100 engineers. Okay. And so the whole engineering effectively knew each other. It was kind of small, growing fast, of course. Mm-hmm. So I kind of really liked it because uh, I think two things did it for me uh, as far as that experience is concerned. 
one is just the fact that it's a smaller company just feels more dynamic when yeah. you grow and you feel more in the loop and you you see your impact to the company much more so than if you're in a larger organization mm-hmm. for sure the other thing is uh, i was in uh, what's effectively like product or device development back in cisco where i used to work on voice over ip and later on like virtualization but our, our, our products were sold, like they were packaged software or packaged mm-hmm. devices that the customer would buy. So it was like a one year long like cycles. And Facebook being a website, which didn't even charge anybody, like you could update the site every day. Mm-hmm. And so just the speed at which you could move was just mind blowing. And it's like drugs, like once you get used yeah, to it, yeah. not that I have tried it, but once you get used to it, like you don't want to get back. And so to me, uh, that was a great experience. So when I joined signal effects like just having that experience on an, on an even smaller mm-hmm. environment and then seeing not just the, uh, the the engineering work develop but also just the life of the company and what it takes to sort of go raise funds and try right. to find the first customer and how do you do marketing like just getting exposed to that was pretty uh, pretty awesome so anyway so, so uh, i was just saying prior to the splunk acquisition what what was the growth of the signal effects company size during you know, your employment role. So we grew pretty fast. Uh, so I think by the time we got acquired, which is about six years into the life of the company, uh, we were about, give or take, 250 employees, uh, about 80 in R&D and product management, and the rest in sales, marketing, and various other functions, support, uh, and so on. So we were, uh, the first, maybe I would say three years or so, we grew slowly, right? So. Um, so um, we were uh, maybe about 40 people by the end of maybe 2016 or so, and then or around 2016 or so, and then we started growing quicker because once the product got into the market, then obviously you need to sort of grow the related functions. And this is obviously a very competitive field. And so, you know, so that, that, that side of the business blossomed. Right. So, so one thing I, I've always, it's like a black box to me is, is how, how do you go from, working on this functional area at a company to starting a company working in that same functional space without just getting sued until you're bankrupt. I mean, are, are you, you know what I mean? Like, like, uh-huh. are you taking I totally get any what you mean. IP and uh, how do people start their that's, own companies like that? That's a great question. That's a very, very good question. Uh, we did it because asking uh, for a friend. Not, not is, <laughs> of course, of course, of course, without a doubt. Yeah. Uh, we did it because, um, and this is actually what was the most fun part of being at Signal FX was we actually um, did things very differently. So we did not build the same thing again, which is where you might run into ah. a lot of these mm-hmm. concerns. We actually we said, look, we've done this for a few years. We've seen what worked. And we've seen what didn't work. We've seen, you know, the, what. So we all had, a, in, a, in our mind, we had a, formed an opinion on what does the, the so-called perfect or the, a better or much better monitoring system look like. And then we decided to go and attack that, like, like shoot for the moon, right? Oh, okay. And so, so, uh, so the way we implemented signal effects was like very different, it, a different architecture. And so, so there was no question of overlap of like, you know, implementation, so to speak. Uh, I think you were going to ask a question. I can uh, no. Well, just pay no uh, attention to the to the chat. By the way, <laughs> um, right. so just just clarifying, like in a sense, it it it's that you you went off and you said, look, we built this thing at Facebook for Facebook and their very specific environment, 
But if we want to sell it, solve the same concept, we're now talking about solving it for a much global, much larger scope, that a much globaler environment. Uh, go yes. Yeah, let's go with mm -hmm. that. Globaler, a globaler environment. By the way, guys, we're starting That's a company. Right. It's called Globler. <laughs> Uh, yes, so you know, one of the things we did is after the company got started, we went and spoke to a bunch of the sort of the big, see, because observability monitoring is something that is kind of important. And what we found is the, the technology leaders in the space, like the Googles, the Netflix, the LinkedIn's, the Twitters, you, what have you, like all of these guys, mm -hmm. Facebooks, they all actually have their own homegrown systems. They spend Lots of engineers, they spend like by thousands of servers and they do this because they know this is one of their differentiators, how they can scale and, and operate efficiently. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But in terms of open source of what's out there, if you're not one of those guys, it's very little, right? And so what we found is as we actually, all of these companies we went and talked to, we found that um, like philosophically, like there were certain things or certain ways they all looked at it. It's just the, the, the path or the implementations for achieving those goals were different. So we knew that at least if we hit all those points about, you know, being able to, for example, in our case, collect data from a diverse environment, have a very scalable store where you can store all of this, have a well-defined query language where you can query this and do sort of advanced analytics, have some kind of way to do alerting. Like the, 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 the principles were the same, the implementations were different. Mm -hmm. So what we did on top of that, we decided, well, uh, it ended up working out very well is we realized, look, uh, speed is always preferable. Everybody wants answers quicker, faster. What if instead of doing that, we sort of turn the model upside on the head and instead of having a database where you run queries from, what if you had an end-to-end -end streaming architecture, which was unprecedented in this space, speaking of not getting sued for patents. And we invented such a streaming uh, architecture, which gave us almost like real-time response, for example, within two to three seconds, regardless of the size of whatever infrastructure you're monitoring. And that ended up being a huge, huge deal. And that's one of actually continues to be a very key differentiator for us. The reason why we got a bunch of patents in this space in spite of, you know, there being other products. Okay. So anyway, awesome. so that's kind of one of the most fun things to work on and help invent. So I, I want to dive more into scale um, in a minute, but I wanted to go back to a word that you said that we really need to hear your definition of, and that's observability. So can you kind of set the stage for observability? Yes. Yes, let's do that. Um, it's, it's really to, uh, observability means like you're in a complex environment and you want to be able to reason about it or to understand what's going on in it. So uh, it's slightly different from monitoring and let me sort of explain what, what I think monitoring is and then we can get into observability. So monitoring typically means that you're you know, uh, looking out for things that you might go wrong. So for example, a Nagios check is a perfect example. I know this port must be up, I'm gonna run a probe every minute and if it's down, then I know something is bad. So I'm looking for things that might go wrong. But fast forward to now, and when you're in you know, Kubernetes and containers and microservices, there are so many of those things that it is extremely hard for me to predict and guess every way it's gonna fail. Like that just doesn't work. Mm -hmm. And so what then you need to do is instead of measuring the temperature, you probably like, you know, you do in a hospital bed, you're always measuring somebody's pulse. So you keep on collecting telemetry and you store them so that if the unexpected issues occur, that you can, you have the data and you have the ability to analyze and slice and dice it to figure out what happened because you cannot potentially like 
predict every possible thing and look out for every possible thing. So that's how sort of observability slightly differs from monitoring. It's a, it's a broader scope. Obviously, monitoring, alerting is a big part of it, but it's not all. The idea is really sort of getting a globular <laughs> data set mm -hmm. from your whole environment, storing it in there for the case when you're going to need it, because that's really the name of the game. Uh, Okay. Okay. And coming from a world where, and, and maybe a lot of people that are listening to this podcast, uh, which is Splunk, and you know, uh, frequently we are talking with people uh, about log messages. So, mm -hmm. I, you know, observability means more than just log messages. You, you know, like yes. what does it mean uh, as far as you know? That's great. So it's a good question. So I mentioned like collecting telemetry from everybody. So what telemetry are we collecting, right? So uh, there's uh, one way to look at it. You can consider uh, observability to be based on what we call like the three pillars or the three types of data, right? Uh, they being um, logs, of course, which is the oldest source of telemetry that, you know, all our systems have been sending and we just, well, Splunk excels at. Then there's metrics. Metrics are numerical measurements as opposed to textual like log measurements. Uh, for many cases, when you're, when you're measuring like, I don't know, CPU and memory and disk or an application's latency or error rate and whatnot, a lot of those things are ideally suited for numbers, and the numbers are better because they're far more compact. They're you know cheap to collect, cheap to send. You can keep them for a long time, so they're just a more efficient uh, vehicle for many of these use cases that were also potentially can be served by logs, but mm -hmm. maybe not as well. Uh, and then there's a, a medium one, which is because of microservices. What you now require is also understanding the interactions between all the services. For example, when I go to Splunk and I run a query, I'm probably going through so many different hops. My request is going to, I don't know, mm -hmm. 50, 100 different hops. You know, Amazon's S3 service, the single storage service has 130 microservices, just FYI. Oh, wow. It's extremely complicated, right? Mm -hmm. And so problems a lot of times don't happen within a microservice. It happens in the interactions between them, which is, again, like I said, you cannot just predict how many how many ways 130 microservices might interact with each other. That, that's so very interesting. I, I want to underline call. that for a second. So yes. you're saying that of the 130 services, to take your example of S3 here, um, there might be uh, an issue that an end user or developer is seeing, but if I'm watching 130 microservices for the expected output, I would not see anything wrong in a, a lot of the time. So that's kind of what you're saying? That happens. Okay. That is a lot of times that happens because one of the things that metrics isn't good at is it statistically things may not show up. So when I'm serving a thousand requests and maybe five of them fail, it's a blip on the radar and things mm -hmm. kind of look fine. I'm creating great output. But if you look at the five requests that failed, there are five unhappy users that just right. had right. the requests fail. So for them, it's like hundred percent failure. Right. Yeah. And so the only way to really understand that is to be able to track transactions through these services to see how the individual experience is performing. This is the end user experience. That's what traces or what's traditionally application performance management ATM tells you. And so we need all three. We need logs, we need metrics, and we need traces. Uh, one simple way to, uh, I think that I, I like to make sense of it is metrics are like the canary in the coal mine. Like I can observe metrics and I can know, you know what, the P99 latency went up or the error rate went down or whatever. Like I, I, I can put metrics in dashboards, I can alert on them. It mm -hmm. tells me when something is afoot. But where the problem is in a complex environment, that's what traces tell us because I can see that, you know what, all the requests flowing through this node or this microservice seem to be failing. So it helps me identify maybe where the problem is. 
Now, if I want to know what the problem is, like why are those things failing? Maybe I want to look at call stacks and stack traces, etc. I have to go to logs, which is where the the forensics lie, right? Okay. So okay. you really need all three. And there's some sometimes you know mention is also made of uh, event data, like control rate events. Like you know, I made a push, I upgraded a version of software here. Mm-hmm. That's actually a degenerate case of using logs. Like logs yeah. can have high mm-hmm. volume as well as low volume event data. So, but we feel like those are the three types of data that you must have. And it's actually one of the reasons, in fact, uh, Splunk acquired us uh, is because uh, in a way now we have a full suite of, of very, very strong products in all three categories, and which is again uh, going to be very, very awesome for the customers. So I have a, a very, very technical question. If everyone, yes. everyone can get ready, really going to challenge Mr. CTO over here. If you could open your code editor. If you know, with all of this, that, that means it's not going to be technical at all. Um, if, if you didn't go with the name signal FX, what was the next potential candidate name? Yeah. Ooh. And if you can't there was, say, there was, actually a different, there was actually a different name before signal FX is not the first name we had. <gasps> I feel like I don't even know you now. <laughs> <laughs> it was called signal fuse and it was a placeholder name when the company was started. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, signal I think, fuse. Uh, Fuse, F-U-S-E, Fuse. And some men's friends made fun of the name Fuse because it can get blown and, you know, yeah. the product uh-huh. will fail or whatnot, you know, references. But it was called Signal Fuse. It was a placeholder name. And by the time we sort of launched the product, which was about two years into the company, uh, we had an internal vote. We had m- many different names. I don't forget all of them. But uh, we all liked FX because, you know, you know techie nerds. Uh, F-, F of X is algebraic functions, right? Mm-hmm. It's like the the canonical way to specify kind of some kind of mathematical or analytical process. Mm-hmm. And we take the signals and we do analytics on them, signal effects. And it just, you know, just appealed to all of us. Uh, it was actually owned by, I think, a Norwegian person who was uh, out on a vacation in the woods somewhere. And oh, the, the I, name, I hear, the actual I hear, company yeah, name was, was already owned yeah. by someone else? The, the domain signaleffects.com oh. was owned by somebody. Wow. And I, I, if I remember correctly, so we had to track the person down and he agreed to sell it over to us and we were all very happy. And, you know, that's how it ended up being signal effects. Nice. It's funny. Nice. Did so you I want to go back to a situation where you bought the, where you switched over the name and then realized, oh, wait, we have to buy this from this guy <laughs> and if we can't get it. <laughs> no, no. Luckily, you know, we thought those, or at least our CEO did yeah. and, and it all worked out. So I want to go back to um, scale a little bit and and understand, you know, okay, so we have, uh, you know, I'm no longer monitoring uh, a, a server running a mm-hmm. monolithic application. Now I'm thinking about, you know, Kubernetes and public cloud sure. services mm-hmm. and, and I have all these microservices spread out everywhere. What is the multiplier here? How, how much, how many more entities am I having to track yeah. in a typical you know, small, medium, yep, yep. web scale Large, environment. Right. So it's a fantastic question. I think the multiplier is at least 10 to 100 times at least. Um, you know, one thing I like to say is that um, it, it may not be so common to find, let's say, a, a company that runs 10,000 servers. That's a mm-hmm. pretty decent amount. Obviously, Splunk mm-hmm. is large. We run many more than that. And so did some of the other biggies. But 10,000, is a, it's a hefty number, it's right? Respectable. Mm-hmm. But if, if you were to ask, like, you to go to San Francisco, wherever I ask, like, who's running 10,000 containers? Like, you'll find them a dime a dozen. And yeah. Yeah. it's really, that's really, you know, with virtualization and with containerization, 
this is really the name of the game. So what we are finding is, even though you may think, you know what, I'm not like a, I don't know, a Splunk or a, a Google. I'm, I don't need you know, scalable monitoring mm-hmm. system or whatnot. You kind of actually do because the amount of observable entities in your environment is exploding. Like to the point where now, if you look at Kubernetes, the, the, the pattern is to run individual processes as containers, right? So you have a, a bunch of them in a pod. Mm-hmm. Every one of them is, is an observable quantity, right? And sure, you can sort of try to be blind to them and you know, you'll pay the cost, to, cost for it. So the number of quantities, the other thing that's also very interesting, which is actually a far more subtle problem is uh, with these modern environment, there's this thing called churn which happens a lot. So, you know, back in the day when I had a server, I probably leased it for three years, which mm-hmm. is what Facebook used to do when I, when I was there. And then after three years, it would go. So these things would like run for three years. Mm-hmm. Then came Amazon, where Amazon said, I'm going to give you this virtual machine and maybe I, it runs for a few months and I, and I change it or it, it gets retired or whatnot. Then come containers and containers sometimes live for minutes, hours, mm-hmm. days, right? Lambdas live for milliseconds. And then the problem is that I cannot forget what happened with these containers. Because if I want to go back six months later, I would say, you know what, how was performance six months ago? Like, how do I plan for this this, this year's yeah. you know, holiday season? Yeah. If I lose all the data, then I, then I don't have anything to you know, base my decision on. So which means that you have to keep a history of an ever increasing number of things that have all lived and died. Like you have to oh, remember wow. the yeah. history, like the Wayback Machine almost. And that is a huge, huge problem, which... You know, it's a little bit, you know, it's a little bit subtle, but it's very, very real. And we see a lot of customers or or, or companies also like struggling with that. It's not just how many are active now and how many have lived and died, right? So those are the two aspects that make it a very challenging problem. Yeah, and then you got to think up a, a naming convention for your containers. That's I mean, <laughs> going to go through your favorite right. movies in like the first, you know, ten minutes. I mean, that's, that's right. why you always you always use the periodic table because you know you you get. You get a good amount there. Because why would yeah. you have more than, what, 150 containers? Yeah. Mm-hmm. 640K exactly. of RAM? No <laughs> yeah. problem. Yeah. So, so, so as the, um, so it sounds like you were at the end, you were kind of talking about how, you know, companies of different sizes, you don't have to be web scale to need this type of approach is, is kind of your nope, point. No, no, no. Okay. Yep. So are there things that, um, so I heard you say APM before application pro, mm-hmm. uh, performance minute. Uh, is, is this the signal effects APM? Are they one in the same? Yes, we no. So we have APM as one of our offerings. So APM is typically uh, understanding the, like I mentioned, the end user behavior or the how is my endpoints that are customer facing doing. So, right. So if I'm selling a product, uh, when somebody wants to buy the product, are those transactions succeeding? How long are they taking and so on? How are my transactions flowing through my environment? What are the dependencies? That's what APM gives you. Mm-hmm. But as I mentioned, you also need metrics to just do the same like bread and butter monitoring, understanding the high level, like what's the view of the entire environment, mm-hmm. right? Uh, what are my canaries in the coal mine? What are the things that I should just observe from a holistic point of view alert on? And then there's logs for forensics. So we... We SignalFX had metrics, which we call infrastructure monitoring product, which is mm-hmm. the infrastructure side of things, applications, hosts, instances, and whatnot. And then the APM product, which was called microservices APM, because it was an offering that was optimized for sort of uh, uh, 
microservice environments where there are lots of little things as opposed to few large things, which is the mm -hmm. traditional monolithic architecture. And then with Splunk, one of the things we're doing very rapidly is integrate uh, logging capabilities into this. So make it, make it, make it a trifecta. It's a one-stop shop for customers. The reason it's very desirable from if I was a customer is there's really a multiplicity of tools that comes about to be, right? So mm -hmm. if I'm using one tool for logs and another tool for metrics, another for APM, at some point, if they don't speak to each other very well, and if there's friction, you know, when I have to change mm -hmm. context from A to B and learn two different, like it's very painful. And frankly, like developers, operators, they have their day job. Their job is not to learn to how like use tools that are nearly not their core business. Right, right. And so the more simple and smooth and integrated you can make it, the better it is. So that's really the goal. Okay. So shooting. I'm going to ask that something, it might be a hard question. I don't, I don't know, but I want to get mm -hmm. your thoughts on it because it's, you kind of lead, led into it, which is um, you know, people have their tools and their preferences. And at Splunk, we have a thing called SPL, Signal mm -hmm. FX evolved a different way to solve different yes. challenges, but there's some definite, some overlap in, in understanding, you know, so how do you do analytics and ask open-ended types of questions against this data that's in signal effects? And is yes. it different fundamentally from SPL? Are there similarities? One word, signal flow. So we also have a language. Okay. Not to be left behind. <laughs> uh, so uh, no, so what we did was, uh, so we realized that again, analytics was going to be the key. It's not that, you know, I have storing a lot of data and I'm able to scale up my data store. And anybody can what pop you, up a dashboard. Exactly. What you do with the data, the kind of questions you can ask of it, that's what's important. So we had a very big focus on analytics capabilities from the beginning. And what we did was we actually have an analytics engine, which is this streaming analytics engine I spoke about. Mm -hmm. It's almost like a, it's very similar to the way Splunk's works where, you know, Splunk's SPL has pipelines where you take the data, you mm -hmm. do some modification, you pipe it to the next one, do some modification and on and on. Mm -hmm. Extremely similar. <laughs> it's a data flow language called signal flow. It looks very Pythonic. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so the idea is very similar. You have these pipelines where you query some data, apply some filters, do some transformations, do some aggregations and on and on as much as you want. It's like mm -hmm. Lego blocks. You just put them in whatever way you want. The other thing we have in signal flow is the ability to combine pipelines. So I can have pipeline A, I can have pipeline B, maybe one is cache hits and one is cache misses. And then you can do math involving, you can say A divided by B. And depending on how the data was grouped, maybe by data center or by whatever, by host, you do the, you know, the group wise analytics when you do A divided by B and produce one or N results. Mm -hmm. uh, and then what we did was this actually became a programming language, this signal flow, which has ability to, for example, include other signal flow functions from other people. It has uh, ability for you to define functions that you can use. And there are libraries that we have. So it's actually oh. very, very- So uh, the name signal FX really has some meaning behind it in that sense. So there is totally analytics is like the core, core part of, of the product. And that is also, you know, one of the reasons why this resonates a lot with a lot of the more modern uh, shops is that uh, they are moving towards what's called immutable infrastructure and code driven, you know, deployments and whatnot, Terraform. Infrastructure as code infrastructure as code, right? And this is exactly where those guys, they're like, look, your UI is pretty and all, but uh, I want to just do things programmatically through scripts, through APIs. Mm -hmm. And they love the, the expressibility of, of our language because it just doesn't do one or two few things, but it, it's very flexible. You can do whatever your heart desires. It's too obviously to, to some limit, yeah, but yeah. That, 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 that's the idea. So in, in your time working and creating and building out this, you know, this excellent, um, 
product that's now SignalFX. Um, you know, are there some of your favorite stories that you can share of customers that we can, you know, that we can reference? I'm obviously, uh, got to be careful about what we say uh, in, in a podcast forum, but any stories come to mind that uh, just kind of like, wow, they did something really cool that, you know, that surprised you? Yeah, so for a while, uh, this was years back, uh, there was a customer called, I think, Clarivate Analytics. They were a part of Thomson Reuters, their patent arm. Uh, um, I don't know whether they're still customers or not, you will have to check. But uh, when we went to talk to them, they were very sort of forward thinking as an organization, as an, uh, uh, also in terms of also their operations. And they were in a microservice environment and they would push code pretty regularly, at least once a week, if maybe not more frequently. And what they said was, look, I want uptime is very important to me. So I want a very sort of high level KPI, like is my deployment, is my infrastructure healthy? I want a health score for everything. And if the health score is bad, I'm gonna revert back and go to my previous version. And initially they had a team of engineers, at least a couple, if not more, who were writing a bunch of sort of, you know, uh, special scripts and so on, just customized for their use case to compute such a health score. And when they saw us, like the, the, the idea, just the lights just turned on and said, you know what, uh, we think we can express whatever thing that we were sort of had these team building skills for just as single flow program. And this is what they did. And this is very cool to me. Like, you know, this is really a, 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 an ex example of, you know, what we say actually being reality. So it being yeah. a great joy that they were able to do that. So that was a very interesting one. Uh, another one was a, there's, a, there's a large apparel manufacturer, which I'm not sure name, uh, in the Pacific Northwest. And they are moving to selling a lot of their product uh, on the phone, like through mm -hmm. applications. Extremely, so they have these launches where new product launches where they, they're extremely popular. Uh, people like the millions will come and try to buy them. And they were, their monitoring was five minutes behind, but by four or five minutes, they probably sold through their inventory. So they wanted to know like, are our users having a good experience? I know I can sell my shoes, but are there lots of failures? Is there unhappiness? And when they used us, it was like a night and day. Instead of knowing five minutes later, because they used a lot of lambdas and whatnot to scale up and down, they could see within seconds how things were going. So I hear that they used to have a team of 200 people in this big war room that was observing every release. It became like at least a fourth or a fifth of that number. They were able to do far more releases. That, that's actually real impact. Like these like yeah, digital yeah. businesses being able to sort of monitor effectively and well at scale in real time. That was also a very, very interesting one for me. So, so go ahead. Okay. Uh, so how about, how about a different, different perspective, not a technical question per se, but w was there a time while you were at signal effects where it, it looked like it wasn't going to work out? Like the company wasn't, wasn't, you know, you, you were fearing for the worst for the company. <laughs> Runway looking. <laughs> yeah. Um, let me tell you this, or maybe everybody knows it, but life in a startup is usually that. Way. It's usually like, like that, right? It's like, you know, it's like between two poles, like one day you're <laughs> feeling, my God, this thing is going to be fantastic. Look at all this promise and this opportunity. And the next day you might feel doom and gloom. And uh, yes, happened and multiple times. So well, that's actually one of the very valuable lessons. Uh, I don't know, maybe I'm a sucker for punishment, but I maybe signed up to go through this process. And when I signed up for uh, signal effects, but yes, it happens a lot because, you know, as startups deals, whether they, happened or not, or a customer comes and suddenly says, you know what, I want this, this high bar of 
either scale or performance or whatnot, and you got to give mm -hmm. me this. Sometimes you make it, sometimes you don't. Outages they make you worried, like, is this thing gonna, you know, gonna live? Like, how are we gonna deal with it? Uh, fundraising is always a challenge. Like, you always have to fundraise, right? Yeah. And uh, just like money never runs for a whole. Yeah, yeah, exactly right, exactly right. <laughs> and so, yes, there were many moments. Uh, there were ups and downs. But you know, one of the things I realized that if if you if you get sucked into the middle of that, which you of course do to some extent, but if you what 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 gives you relief is if you look at it from a, maybe a ten thousand dollar thirty thousand foot view, is you see whether the overall indicators are positive or not. Mm -hmm. You know, the, maybe the path is like a very up and down like an earthquake, but as long as it's sort of so going up and to the right, you feel that you know what maybe let me have that sort of uh, perspective that you know it's okay. Uh, that's, a good that's the best we can do. You build a good product uh, and then, you know, there will be customers, there will be companies that are interested, something good would happen out of it. Uh, and so that was sort of a big, big, at least from an engineering point of view, that's how we looked at it, right? But yes, it was very, very uh, uh, scary in stages and then great in stages. It's just what awesome. the start of life is. Excellent. So uh, we're running short on time and I want to be, you know, very uh, considerate about your time. Uh, but as we close, I want to think about, I mean, as a, as a CTO of, of a startup and it's, you know, we're at the beginning of 2020 here, what are your thoughts of, um, you know, not, not technology in general necessarily, unless you really want to go wide, but you know, like, what are you thinking about uh, in terms of, you know, what signal effects can do over the next couple of years and, and how, how do you see that panning out? Yeah. So, High level, like uh, I'm cautiously extremely optimistic. So I feel that, you know, everybody wants their, uh, like, how did we affect the world, so to speak? Like, I feel signal effects as a chance to make the sort of modern web based digital economy more successful because what we're providing is a way for you to operate these, these very complex environments with confidence and provide a high quality of service to your customers, whether they be other enterprises or consumers, right? This is key because we all know how innovation is speeding up and all of that is because of lots of these changes. Like DevOps models are changing, deployment models are changing, development, all of these are changing. I feel that we are, we are an enabling technology to that. Not that we are the only one, monitoring and observability is one of them, but it's a very important one, right? So I feel that the kind of impact we can have in general on the world is huge, so I'm very optimistic about it. The other thing I feel is also uh, because of the, the the quality of the product, uh, we are building one of the maybe very few like all around suites, which I think is going to be very, very excellent because I think the name of the game over time is going to be consolidation where customers, because of this, the tool, uh, there's so many tools out there, like they will want to select few integrated tools and uh, my, our goal actually right now is to figure out how do we make that happen effectively and economically for customers so uh, high level like like i said I, I really do believe in this mission i feel there's a huge amount of opportunity and uh, it's really all about execution from our point so yeah it's very optimistic yeah yeah and and actually in, in the vein of looking forward one thing I think we skipped over is like, so you were CTO when SignalFX was, was on its own. What is your job title now? Uh, I'm a distinguished architect. Um, uh, basically, I'm part of the engineering organization and my goal is to basically figure out that this vision, along with others, of course, I'm obviously by, not the only one by far, mm -hmm. uh, is realized, uh, at least from technical point of view. 
Uh, I also obviously do spend a lot of time with uh, with customers and prospects as well as with evangelism and marketing because you know you also have to spread the word along with uh, along along with building the product. So I, I'm a little bit I have a feet in a few different parts, but primarily it's architecture. Well, well, thank you. Well, we're uh, right up on time here. I I think this was a mind blowing uh, uh, discussion that we had here for anyone who has observed this episode of the podcast. So uh, with that, um, thank you all for, for listening. Thank you uh, to our special guest and um, to all of our uh, globalers out there. Uh, keep on globalering. That was awful, but thank you, Birch. <laughs> thank you, RG. Thank you very much. It was you, my RG. pleasure to be here. Thank you again. All right.